invite your attention to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians. There was a writer one, one time that describes the life of Christ in this way. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. He never wrote a book, never held an office, never went to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from his home. He did none of these things usually associated with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. And while dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen centuries have come and gone. And today, Jesus is the central figure of the human race and the leader of mankind's progress. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever, ever reigned put together have not affected the life of mankind on earth as powerfully as this one solitary life. Jesus the life of Jesus is not only the most interesting historical figures to have ever lived. The significance of his life is that 2,000 years later, we are gathered on a Sunday morning to talk about this person whom we have never physically met. How can somebody have such an impact on human history as the life of this person of Jesus? His teachings, his life, what he claimed, who he was. And lives that truly met Jesus were never the same. There was, there was a, a change in their lives. And... As we look at his teaching, no one ever taught like him. He taught with authority. He taught with truth and yet with grace. He could, his words could cut you to the heart and get to the very heart of motives of people. He was indeed the matchless Christ even while he walked on earth. And the reality that his words remain with us, and there's been more documentation, not only historically, given the scripture itself, and even extra-biblical literature. We find that there's been more books written about this one person who's, who has graced the earth 
His life changed lives. And don't get him around graveyards. Because he had a, a unique way about himself that would cause the dead to live. He could get to the heart of a matter and get to the reality of the fear of what we fear the most, and that is death. And then he gets to the heart of what breaks our hearts the most. Now, oftentimes we find pleasure in it, but it is that indeed of sin. It breaks not of the heart of God, but it breaks relationship and the reality of a separation between God the Father and us. And Jesus on the cross, that fateful event on Good Friday, changed even that. He was there taking the wrath of God for our sin and at the same time reconciling ourselves to God. Sinners. Now, nobody's ever lived that has made such an impact in human life and in our lives. And I can dare say for those of us who have trusted Him as Savior and Lord, He has radically changed our lives. He's radically changed our lives. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, met this Jesus in a blinding light on the road to Damascus. He himself was persecuting Christians. He himself was wanting to do away with the way until he met the matchless Christ in his radiant glory, revealing his own depth of wickedness and sin, his own undoneness and his brokenness. And it was there that the persecutor of Christians came, the apostle to the Gentiles. And the apostle Paul, as we know it, has given us a vast majority of the New Testament. And it was the apostle Paul that was writing a letter to the Colossians believers. Now they were enamored. The Colossians were enamored with so many things in, in, that were part of Hellenized culture. They were enamored with philosophy. They were enamored with asceticism. They were enamored with perhaps uh, folks who had claims to great uh, knowledge, secret knowledge like the Gnostics, who claimed to have an inroad to God, that you need to know their way to know God. And Paul comes along and he just presents the matchless Christ. You look in Colossians chapter 1, we find that the Bible does reveal Christ in three ways. The Bible reveals Christ as creator, as the champion of the church, and as the coming king. 
And I simply want to ask you the question this morning, do you know him? Do you know him? Let me ask the question other, another way. Does he know you? Does he know you? Jesus said in that day there will be many that will come and saying, Lord, have we not cast out demons? Have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not done many good works? And have not we done many wonderful things in your name? And he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. So I'm asking you this morning, do you know Jesus? And does Jesus know you? Is there an intimacy in, the, in your knowledge of this Christ? Or is he stuck in human history and on the pages of, of the Bible? Or is he pertinent and relevant and indeed the Lord of your life? Is he indeed the Lord of your life? Do you know Jesus? And does Jesus know you? Does he know you? The Bible reveals him as creator, as the champion of, of the church, and as the coming king. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. If you'll look with me in, in verses 15 through 17, Paul gives us the depth of, of Christ and a Christology, how we can understand who Jesus is. He says he is the image, the word icon, of the invisible God. The Bible reveals that God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. But if you want a good picture of God, look at Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and in earth and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. Look at verse 16, part B. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things are held together. All things consist through Jesus. So what we see is the first thing is that Christ is the creator of all things. He is the creator of all things, and He is the source of all creation. It's interesting that we have this, even a hint of this, in the Old Testament and the creation of man. In the beginning, we know that the world was, the universe was formed and void. Darkness covered all the land. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And there was light. And then God said at the pinnacle of creation, the creation of man, He uses the word, let us make man in our own image. In other words, there was a divine counsel that took place in the Godhead, God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit. And they said, let us make man in our image. 
And man, Adam was formed from the dust of the earth. And there was the breath of life breathed into him. And Christ, therefore, we find, Paul gives us the picture, is that Christ is the creator of all things as a part of the Godhead. As a part of the Godhead. He is the, he is, it was created by his power. And the Bible says that it was created by him, through him, and for him. Now you get the picture. Jesus was all in this. It was created by him, through him, and for him. All the purpose of creation that God created was purposed in the divine counsels of God, and God the Son was, was a part of the community of the Trinity in the, in the creation of all the things that you see. Everything that you touch. Everything that you can stand in awe of. Everything that you can look at and say, wow. You look at the sunset, which today's sunset will be, it will be unique, just like every sunset is of every day, or the sunrise. We know that God, the Creator, put that there in its place. And so Paul says that, that, that Jesus was there, a part of the process, and that he did this, he created, notice this, not some things, but all things. Matter of fact, that word all things is all throughout these verses. He created all things. For him, through him, and by him. So, meaning that he is not only the, the source of it, but he is the sovereign Lord over all creation. He's the source the sovereign Lord, and He sustains it all. By Him, it is all held together. Now, that's, that's really interesting as, as we begin to, to look and, and just consider the reality of creation, what we have. Um, it was on Christmas Day, 1968, that the astronauts on the Apollo 8, circled the dark side of the moon, and they were headed for home. And suddenly the, the story goes that over the moon, over the horizon of the moon rose the dark white earth garland and glistening light of the sun against the black void of space. And these sophisticated men of science and technology, they did not utter Einstein's name nor any poet's nor any lyrics of a song, nor any, any drama. But this awe-inspiring thrill was magnificent, and billions heard it as they read Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Only concept or phrase worthy of the awe-inspiring magnificence of His creation. Let me ask you, if there's such glory and awe-inspiring magnificence in His creation, what will it be when we stand before Him face to face? 
How awestruck. I've often wondered what people do without the concept of God or without, for instance, atheists who would, who would deny the existence of God. What do they do with a beautiful sunset? Or something that strikes all because it's the natural inclination of the human heart to find all in those things. You know, you, what do you do? You think the universe? You think your science book? You know, thank God for science, by the way. Science reveals more and more of the nature of who God is. But, but what, do you, what, do you, what do you do with awe? What do you do with beauty? What do you do with awe? And the reality of finding that it is all. Well, Paul said that the way that you direct all in the glory of God, in the, in the magnificence of His glory, is direct it to the one who was created, who created all things, and He Himself was not created. He was preexistent. Created all things for His own glory. He says the only worthy object, the only worthy one who is worthy of praise and honor and glory and worship is Christ. And He has given the honor of the reality that all of creation was created by Him, through Him, and for Him. All things. All things. So Jesus is the Creator. And notice here, the purpose of the creation was for Him. Now let me ask you a question. If you have been created by God, and you have been, then you find your purpose you find your destiny. You find the reality of meaning in your life in and through the purpose of Christ. Your best life is one that is under the alignment of His Lordship. I just want to ask you, do you know Him and does He know you? Does He? Do you know Him? Do you know Him as the Creator and the Lord of your life? Because it is in Him, Paul said, that He lived and moved and had His very being. So Christ is the Creator of all things. He's the Creator of all things in heaven and earth. Things visible and invisible. In, in, the, in realms of, of the of Spirit of material, immaterial. Things that you can see, things you cannot see. There's so much that's in this world that we can't see. Jesus is the creator and they're created by him, through him, and for him. Now, let me ask you, you're thinking, now did God create evil? No, he didn't. He didn't create evil. God permitted evil in the garden. He permitted man to have a choice and to express love through obedience, and man disobeyed. He gives man, he gives man the freedom in that sense to choose. And man and Adam and Eve in, in the garden, it, even a perfect environment of, of innocence, they chose to disobey God. We now are sinners by nature. We will choose wrong. Why? Because we're sinners. 
In other words, our natural proclivity is not to want to please God. It is, frankly, we want to live for ourselves and find the purpose of our life in ourselves. So Jesus comes, and he says that the world, and Paul says it, that, that, the, that, the, that the world, all the world was created in and by him and for his purposes. And we're here in this day and this time as one little blip in human history. And we're trying to figure out our lives. We're trying to figure out the meaning of our lives. We're trying to figure out our purpose in our lives. We're trying to figure out, you know, the direction of our lives. We're trying to figure out all kinds of things about our life. And Paul reminds us that it's not about us. It's about the Creator. It's not about the creature. That's why when Jesus taught us to pray, He taught us to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For thine is the kingdom, thine is the power, yours is the glory, forever, forever, and ever. Now there you get the insight of the ultimate meaning for your life. The ultimate meaning, and I've got to tie my shoes or I'm going to fall. The ultimate meaning for your life is wrapped up in the knowledge of Christ and His will and His purpose. So I'm just going to ask you, is Jesus, does Jesus have the permission to kind of walk in your life to every single part of it, to your motives, to the very heart of your life, to the very reality of why you're here? Have you opened up those rooms to allow Him in those rooms to work in your life and to, to speak truth into you? Because in the speaking of the truth to you is the, is the reality of, the, of His purposes to be lived out in you. Oh, the power of, the, of, the, the power of Jesus in his, all of His glory and His preeminence, the God of creation. This blows my mind. I blow circuits in my mind to think that the God of creation desires me. He desires fellowship with me just as there's community, and He doesn't need it, by the way. I don't have a whole lot to offer. There is unity in community in the Trinity, and God doesn't need man. He doesn't. He expresses His love toward us. And is, the depth of that love is poured out in our behalf to the praise of His grace and the power of His glory and the power of His love. God chooses to love you. And I'm thinking, God chooses to love me? God chooses to love me. And I'm thinking, and I just take a big deep breath. He must not know me too well. Oh, he does. He knows you intimately. Oh, he does. 
He knows you very well. He knows the motive of every, of every thought, the motive of every action, the, the reality of why you live, what you're going to do today and tomorrow and next day. He knows it when you've failed. He knows it when you walk in all kinds of guilt. He knows it when you're ashamed. He knows it when you fear. He knows everything about you. He knows it when, he knows it when you've embraced sin over Him. Now let this blow your mind. And in all that, He still chooses to love us. He still chooses to love me. He chooses to love me not because of me, but because of His character and who He is. Now if you get that, that's wonderful. This is all free. I hadn't even planned on preaching any of this. Think about this. The creator of the universe chooses to love you based on his nature, not on your performance. I want to tell you, if it was based on our performance, we'd have been wiped out a long time ago. Right? But Jesus, in the image of God, comes in human history to show man a love that they had never known, and certainly religion didn't give it to them at that day and time. You know, religion oftentimes just heaps more stuff on you. You need to do this, 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 and this, and this. And Jesus comes along to people in their brokenness. He meets them at the point of the deepest need. He speaks to their heart, and all of a sudden their lives are transformed. Why? Because it's like we have been in the presence of God, and they had. And it was not until after the resurrection, the power of the resurrection, the reality of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in their lives that they begin to live in new power, in a new way. There's a new way to walk. There's a new Lord who's Lord over my life who lives through me. And there's a smile on, a, on my face because there's joy in my heart. Hallelujah. Why? All because of love. And you say, God could love me like that? Yes, God loves you like that. God loves you that way. He loves you, the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, while we were yet alienated from God, while we were yet, listen, we were hell-bent. Yeah, we were hell-bent. We were bent on hell and destruction in our lives. And Jesus comes along and shows us the love of God that draws sinners to repentance. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will do what? I will draw all men unto me. Jesus is not only creator, the Colossians says, but he's also the champion of the church. Now, I want you to look at this. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in all things that he may have preeminence. That's a nice little word, nice big word, preeminence, first place. He says he's the head of the body. He said he's, kind of, he's like the brains of the church. You know, one of the things that amazes me is that the church has, has survived over 2,000 years. Does that, does that kind of surprise you? You know? How many businesses you know that last that long? Huh? I don't know of any. 
How, how many, you know, biz, uh, the life of a business, I remember I, I was a business major in college, and I, I had an interest in business, but I, I, I read this book on the cycles of organizations about 50 years. Real encouraging, isn't it? About 50. And, 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 and you know, he was talking about the, the cycle of businesses and they, you know, things cycle in and cycle out. Markets change, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I want to tell you something. The message of the church hasn't changed in 2,000 years. And you can't make it any more relevant. You know, smoke and lights don't do it on stage. That doesn't make it relevant. I'll tell you what makes it relevant. What makes it relevant is the message that has been given is a message that meets us in the deepest part of our need. Jesus comes to right where we're living. He comes down in our living room and sits down with us. And he reminds us, and we're reminded of Paul, he's the champion of the church. He's the head of the, of the body. The, body's the, the head is the brain of all of it. You know, it's just, you know, the body, you know, the head gives it distinction. The head, the, the head gives the, the body distinction. It, it, it shows its, its own character. Why? Through, through the head. I mean, it's the brains of it. The brain tells the hands to move, and they move, and the, the mouth to speak, and the ears to hear. And it's, it's that, that central, it's the central part of the whole human body. And Jesus is the head of the church. Paul said it this way. He's the head in all things that, that we, he would have first place. So, you're a part of the church and you're a part of the body and you're a living representative of what it means for Jesus to have first place in your life. And that's what the world is waiting for the church to, in the church is, is not for us to see how cool we can be or how much like the world we can be, but how Jesus would act in this world. How he would act in this world, how what Jesus would do in this world, what Jesus would where Jesus would go in this world, how Jesus would live in this world, the worldview that would form that would, would show us God. We are his representatives and the reality of, of living of him living his life and through us. And I'm just going to ask you this morning, do you know him? And does he have every does he have access to every single part of your life? Do you know Him? Well, yeah, I want Jesus as Savior, but how about Lord? How about Lord of our life? How about Lord of our future? How about Lord over our decisions? How about Lord over our identity? How about Lord over, over our desires? How about Lord over all of these other things in our life? Paul said that, that it... Please the Father that in Him was the fullness to dwell. In other words, Jesus was not subordinate to the Father. He was co-equal with Him. The power and reality of this is that we see that in this, that Jesus came to reconcile all things to Himself by Himself. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. And he made peace. And that on that one crucial event of the cross on that Good Friday. He made access to God and he brought peace. And the reality that man could, once again, that man could have. He, Jesus come to do a new creation. And for all those who have trusted Christ, who know Christ as Savior and Lord. We have been made new. 
old things, the Bible says, have passed away. And all behold, all things have become new. And just you just and you haven't listened. Only by trusting him, you have only begun to scratch the surface because Jesus said, as we see, just as I live, you shall live also. Jesus said to Martha and Mary, he said, I am the resurrection, I am the life. He that believes in me shall never die. And then Jesus asked a question that I've asked over many funerals that I've done. Do you believe this? Do you? Because, my friend, here's the reality of it. Jesus is the firstborn, and he is not, he's the firstborn of the resurrection, the first fruit of the resurrection. Meaning that he's the head of the line, and he's leading a resurrection party, and it is not a funeral procession. Hallelujah. It's not, that's right. It's not, Jesus, listen, Jesus did not come to preside over a funeral. Do you hear me? He did not come to preside over a funeral. He comes to lead a resurrection party. A party. A resurrection party that he is the head of it. And he said, I have got over 2,000 years. Oh, yeah, there they are. I see that little group down there in southwest Virginia. That we're a part of that party. And then every nation and every tongue and every tribe and, every, and from all the walks of life and from every kind of imaginable place and unimaginable place are in that resurrection party. And what are they doing? They're praising the firstborn from the resurrection, the first fruit of the resurrection, Jesus who is the head of the church. Why has the church lasted so long? Because there is a living Lord. He's not about to be dethroned. He's not about to be demoted. Who can demote him? He, is, he himself is his own credentials. The power and reality of the resurrection of Christ. He is the champion of the church. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. And the power and the glory of this resurrected Christ is the one who wants and desires preeminence in our lives. Do you know him as Lord? Now, you, you, Greg, you're getting pretty fired up about that. I want to tell you something. If I didn't believe that with all of my heart, I would not be standing here today. I just would. The power and reality is that he changes dead people and brings them life. And the Bible has a great word for it. He quickens us. Brought from death to life, the creator of the universe looks in love and desires, uh, it desires our he desires to embrace us with the full reality of who He is. And then He comes and He throws His arms around us and the fullness of the Godhead through the Holy Spirit indwells me and you. 
Now, I don't get that. I don't understand that. I don't understand that on a lot of, on a lot of levels. But Christ is the champion of the church. He, he reconciled all things to himself. In other words, there is, there's not really any kind of works that you can add to this. You can't, you can't improve on God's plan. I mean, he didn't come to just kind of say, okay, here's just one of many ways. No, he comes to take over, folks. He, he comes to just say, you know, just, just make me Lord. I created you. Now, honestly, you know, somebody some say, you know, they're going to take over. It's like, no, wait a minute. Who are you? Who are you? And if, you're having a, if you have a struggle with, with Christ in that way, ask him that. Well, who are you? And he'll show you who he is in his word. He's the creator and the Lord. And listen, he's not like a... Uh, you know, we think of we think of despots and so forth of you know evil folks. Here is here is somebody that has a perfect, a perfect drawing love, who loves you more than you love yourself, and draws us to himself. Now, when we get that, we say, yeah, you know, why yes, Lord, yeah, you know, I'm gonna, I'm going to share with you. I struggled with coming to Christ. I had, I had all kinds of excuses. And I was 15 at the time. And I was 14, about age 14, that I, I really was under conviction. That's a word that means this. I recognize that I was really, really lost. I mean, I recognized that I needed God. And that was me at 14. And I struggled, I struggled with, with that reality in my life because I, I knew that, that, that if I trusted Christ, I, I, wanted, I wanted to do some things. I wanted to live life. Uh, you know, I, I, and I've had people say, well, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll come to the Lord later on. You don't have that promise. And you may not have that desire. I'm glad that I came to Christ at an earlier age. I struggled with it, though. I struggled with this concept of, you know, being obedient and being good and trying to be good. And, you know, it was kind of mixed in with the peer pressure of, of trying to where you fit in in school and where you fit in with your friends and, and you know, what you know, what's your future going to be like. And, and it fit in all of that. And I'm like, you know, I, I just, you know, I, I, could, I could see my, I could see a different trajectory for my life at the age of 14 than I saw now, that I saw after the fact. And I remember, I remember struggling with this concept of being of trust in Christ. And I had a friend who, who came to the Lord, and I remember during an invitation one Sunday, he just kind of reached over and he said, "Greg, Lord loves you, and He wants to save you." He knew he must have sensed the struggle, and I'm like, you know, I didn't go for my friend. You don't, have, you shouldn't. But I knew, I knew that God was dealing with my heart. 
And I want to tell you something. The most miserable place that you can be is a place when you know that God is dealing with your heart or dealing with your heart about something and you are wanting to do it your way. Miserable. It is. It's intentionally miserable. Thank God for the misery. It was one Sunday evening that that everything just came to came to the came to the head. It came to a head. And I, I was listen, I was in church serving. I was playing bass guitar right where David would sit, right about, about like that. And I remember I remember the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, Greg, what are you going to do with Christ? I tried to distract myself away from it. I tried to pull away from it. I said, yeah, but... And then... In one... In one I never will forget what I did. In, in one moment, I said, you know what? I've got to trust Him. I, mind you, I was sitting at the altar. Serving. Lost. I remember taking the bass guitar, I turned the volume down completely off. I laid the guitar down and I knelt down and I really didn't have a great prayer. You see, there had been a dialogue with God all the way up to this point. I knew I was lost. I knew that I needed Christ. I knew that. And I struggled to even form words when I was kneeling down there at that altar at the, at the tender age of 15. And I, I only, it always bothered me that I didn't do one of these Billy Graham kind of things and say, repeat after me and, you know, that kind of thing. Listen, here was my prayer. You want to hear it? My prayer was, yes, Lord. my Savior my Lord and my God the rest is history in that regard I, I never will forget as we went out there were 17 of us young people that got saved that night, preacher struggled. Oh, he struggled with the message. And it was a hard service, but I mean, there was a, there was a, a deep a sense of God's drawing power that he wanted to change our lives. And man, he did. We loaded up a red church van. Somebody said, well, y'all need to get baptized the next thing. Well, we were ready. It's like, we don't need to take a church vote on this. 
The Lord saved us. We're ready to, we're ready to go. to. It was nighttime. It was July the 26th, 1976. We come down to Clear Creek, the little hole of water there in the ground. I remember looking up in the sky and I'm saying, man, it's a really dark night, but look at the stars, God, you made them. First time in my life that I'd even acknowledged the the creator in my heart and my spirit, my spirit rose up with praise at the vastness of his creation that this creator would love me enough to see me on this night say yes. Who had been drawing me and drawing me and drawing me with love. I got wet in the water, baptized, along with 17 other young people. The power and reality is the power of a changed life. Not a perfect one, but a changed one. Why? Because there's a new master on the throne, and it's not Greg. And I'm reminded that over and over and over, when I struggle with issues of Christ being Lord of my life, when it comes to areas of sanctification or being set apart for Christ, I have to go back to that day and say, Yes, Lord, yes, your Lordship means more. Why? Because, because, because He has predestined us to be conformed. Now listen to this, Romans He has predestined us, chapter 8, He has predestined us to be conformed into the image of His Son. So when my prayer is when you hear a message like this, you don't see Greg, you see Jesus. That, that all of it's like John, that, that he increases and we decrease, and the reality of the power is that it's the, his power that is working within us. Now, I got, to, I got to go because it's time to leave here. But I want to tell you before you go, and before we go, there is a king who's coming. You see, it's Jesus who changes lives, who specializes in changing hearts, who specializes in loving us at the deepest point of our needs. We struggle with intimacy. You struggle with love. You struggle with feeling love. You struggle with your own self-identity and your own self-worth. You struggle with all that. But I'm telling you, at the feet of Jesus, you won't find any love that that can heal all of your brokenness in all of your shattered dreams, in all of your life. You can bring it all and lay it down in the heap, in the piling heap of your life and say, Lord, if you can make something from the mess and the shattered charge of my life, then mold me into the image of Christ. And my friend, it's amazing what Jesus can do with dust and it's amazing what Jesus can do with broken pieces. He is indeed the Savior who has nail prints in His hands. The power, of, the power of what He can do in your life when you yield and lay it down to His Lordship. Why? Because He's the champion of the church. Jesus specializes in doing the impossible. Do you know Him? Are you trusting Him? And does He know you? Does He know you? Yes. Christ, lastly, is coming in the consummation of all things. Revelation gives us this. 
John says it this way, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over all the kings of the earth, to him who loved us. Notice this. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins. Can you say amen to that? He washed us from our sins. Not by our works, but in his own blood. He has made us kings. Say that with me. He has made us kings. Say it. You're not convinced of it. He has made us and kings and priests. He's put us to to be to to be a go-between, a kingdom of priests. To his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever and ever. And John just stacks said, Amen. Right? Yeah, to him be glory and honor forever and ever. Feet like glass, eyes like fire. And the old song says, heard a great voice, Mike, and he says, come up higher. Jesus. If you're not convinced by this time that, you're, that life doesn't center around you, you will be on this day when you see him. The things that we center our lives around are usually oftentimes just kind of trivial things and really don't have any kind of long-term lasting meaning. You'll realize it on this day. Behold, He's coming. John said, He's coming with clouds. Every eye will see Him. Every, and, and even though who, who pierced Him, there's going to be a resurrection, and they will see Him. And the tribes of the earth shall mourn because of Him. Even so, let it be, let it be, let it be. So be it, He says. And then Jesus said these words. Jesus, if, if you look in your Bible, these are red letter. Jesus said, Jesus said this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, the end, says the Lord, who was and is and is to come, the Almighty One. There's not gonna, there's always, there's, throughout church history, there's been questions about who He was. Was He fully God? Was He fully man? Well, He's both. Every eye will see him that day, and there will be no doubt. There will be no doubt. There will be no disputes, and there will be no debates. Jesus is Lord. Stand with me. And I want us to say the last verse that Jesus said. I want you to say this with me. I am I'm the Alpha, okay? Let's just say it together. Let's just say it because Jesus said it. Jesus said this, I am the Alpha and the, the, and the says the Lord, who, who was and is to come, the Almighty. And Father, you are coming again. And just as we're standing here today, we recognize that you are Dear Lord, time is going to wrap up. And the reality of eternity.
is going to make the things of time just fade away. The things that bring us worries, fears, tears, sorrows. We are thankful that we have clear, clear teaching from your word that shows us the power and reality of who you are. Father, I ask this morning, there may be a person here that struggled like I struggled with. This issue of you being Savior and Lord of their lives. I pray that today, Lord, you look down in your grace and your mercy and enable them to simply say yes. Simply say yes, Jesus. The struggle's over, the fight's over. I embrace you as my Savior. And I embrace you as my Lord. For others, Lord, who've forfeited so much peace in their Christian walk because they've did it their own way. Yeah, they've trusted you, but there's been so much and so often, and so often of the time, they find themselves struggling. In so many different areas, I pray that today they would bring those shattered, broken pieces to you, the living Christ. And say, Lord, if you can make something out of this, if you can do something with this, if you can be honored and glorified in it in some way, I ask that you would. I pray that you'd give us wisdom to know what the Holy Spirit is saying to our hearts individually. And give us grace and mercy to receive. In the name of Christ we pray. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen.